Okay, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quatrains of soldiers to keep him, intending after Passover to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And, as, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. He went out, and followed him, and wits not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews." And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened out, opened, excuse me, not the gate, for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, Thou art mad, or literally, you've lost your mind. Amen. That's literally what they said, that you've lost your mind. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel or his spirit. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James... And to the brethren, and he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, but they came with one accord to him and having made... Uh, Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms but gave up and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname 
Where's Mark? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word today. Your awesome spirit today, God, that you'll speak to us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be gathered here this morning. In your presence, we worship you. We magnify you, O oh God, today. Lord, we know that you're able to, to break the chains off of your people, to deliver them, to set them free from prisons that the enemy would place them in today. We trust you right now, Jesus, for the anointing, O oh God, to deliver this word. And everybody said, Amen. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. First and foremost, we have James, the brother of John, who is beheaded by Herod. He's killed. Persecution is now rising in a government way. And he's taken out of the world by the sword of Herod. So that now we've got the kings of the earth rising up and they're persecuting the spiritual kingdom of God. Now, the Bible goes on and tells us because of the way the Jews responded to the beheading of James. And see, so we now have opposition, uh, government opposition. We've got a Jewish group of people who hate the church, of course. We've seen that in the book of Acts. And so now they're all excited because James, the brother of John, has been beheaded. He's been removed. And so Herod, because he saw that it pleased the Jews, because he's ruling at that time in Jerusalem, he sees that that pleased the Jews. So he's a man pleaser. Because he's a man pleaser, he says, you know what, I'm going to go get somebody else. And he goes and gets Peter, and he brings Peter in, he puts him in prison, and Peter, of course, is delivered. <clears throat> the question is often asked, why was James killed and Peter delivered? Why did God deliver Peter, but not deliver James, or Jacob? Literally, his name's Jacob. You ever wondered why? Well, they both got delivered. Jacob, when he uh, got beheaded, he went straight to glory. Now, Peter gets delivered from this earthly prison house, but he's still got to deal with life. I think sometimes it'd be easier if they'd just come get us and cut our heads off. Uh, you know, at least I feel that way sometimes. It'd be easier if they just come get me and take my head off, and it'd be over with, and I'd go to be with the Lord, you know. And I wouldn't have to deal with life anymore, praise God. Sometimes I wish for death. <laughs> I'm probably the only one here that does. <laughs> no, I know I'm not. But, uh, you know, it was just, it was painful for a moment. You know, I doubt if he even really knew what hit him. As soon as that sword took his head off, he was, he was gone. He was with the Lord, you know. But now Peter, he's in prison, right? And so specifically, we're going to focus on that. But then it also talks about another James here after Peter gets out. And he's going to go and he's going to, you know, tell James, the brother. this is the brother of Jesus, by the way. The first James is the disciple James that was the brother of John. James at the latter part of the chapter is James, the half-brother of Jesus. So you got two James in this chapter, okay? Now what's interesting to me is that James, the brother of John, is killed. Peter is in prison. And then we have another James that's recorded at the end of the chapter. This James eventually, the James at the end of the chapter, the half-brother of Jesus, was also eventually killed. He was literally taken and thrown off the pinnacle of the temple and died. The James at the end of the chapter, again, the half-brother of Jesus, was called Camel Knees. Because he prayed so much. He was on his knees so much that he literally built up calluses 
on his knees. When he was killed, thrown off the pinnacle of the temple, martyred for Jesus, approximately from what I understand, it was about nine years later that Jerusalem fell. And they believe, and this is literally said, that because James was taken out of the way and could no longer pray for Jerusalem because his prayers were not there for them, that's why the city fell. So that man, he was a very, very, very powerful man of prayer. He was a very, very strict, very straight type of man. But Camel Knees was his nickname. Now, man, if you got knees like that, let me know. And we'll call you Camel Knees. If you got that kind of prayer life, amen. Whew, that's awesome to me. But every one of these men right here suffered some kind of persecution. One by death, one by imprisonment, and one by being cast off the pinnacle of the temple. So when you serve God, just get ready. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. I mean, that's just part of it. That's part of the territory. And none of us like that. But where the struggle is, is with our will. The reason why is because we want it our way. I'm going to tell you right now, really, where the greatest struggle that everybody in here has is, is with your will. Because we all want it our way. We want it to go our way. And when it doesn't go our way, then, you know, we have a real problem with that. Even in the church, we want things to go our way. And we, we have a tendency, and sometimes it's true, to look at, you know, our way as the will of God. You know, and, and the way we want it to happen in the church. We, we look at that the way we want it to happen in the church as the will of God. And so we have a real struggle sometimes with our will. You look at these men, though, they were put in situations they had no control. It was completely out of their hands. It was out of their will. They couldn't change it if they tried to change it. They couldn't figure it out if they wanted to figure it out. There's just some things you can't figure out. There's some people that are going to suffer death. There's going to be some people that are going to be thrown in prison. There's some people going to be thrown off the pinnacle of the temple. And you can't figure out why certain people are getting delivered from prison and some people die. That's just in the hands of God. And there's some things that you and I cannot change. And we would love to. But ultimately, we at some point have to surrender our will to the will of God and say, okay, God, if you know, if I need to die here, if you need to... See, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for God to let a man like Peter and James suffer what they did. And also James, the latter James. James gets killed. Man, you're talking about a very powerful apostle that God allows him to be removed off the face of the earth. Then God lets another man by the name of Peter, a very powerful apostle, get thrown in prison, get bound. Another man by the name of James, the apostle of the church in Jerusalem, is eventually cast off the pinnacle of the temple and dies, a man of prayer known as Camelot. But yet these men are literally taken out completely. You would think that God would step in and say, no, these men, I need these men. I need them to preach. They are my apostles. But they are removed. Wow, that is very interesting to me. So anyway, we see that in a sense they're all delivered, death or alive, they're, they're all delivered. But I want to focus here today on Peter here. If you would look with me, please, in verse 4. This is all taking place during Passover. 
It's taking place toward un, in the midst of unleavened bread. Now, in your Bibles, if you look in verse 4, it uses the word Easter. That, to me, is a very, very poor translation. I don't think any of the apostles or even God Himself would have let them put a pagan name to the, the Feast of Passover. I just, I just don't believe that. that. That's in there. It's in, you know, by translation. But really, it should be Passover. And I'm not going to get into all that you know, as to why you know, concerning translation. But I do not believe, I'm telling you, that God would allow Ishtar, the name of a pagan goddess, to be placed in His Scripture in, in the context of something like this. It's, what I'm talking about is that they you know, call that feast Easter. I don't believe that. Ishtar is a pagan name. So anyway, having said that, all this is going on in the midst, in the midst of unleavened bread, and it's Passover. So it's linked to what? It's linked, good, to the finished work. It's linked to the cross because Jesus died at that time. So this is happening during the time of the death of Jesus. So what you have here is the death of James, or really, literally Jacob. Jacob is really his real name. So you've got, at the time of Jesus' death, you've got Jacob's death. At the time of Jesus' death, you've got Peter's imprisonment. You with me here? So there's, there's a link here. Say Passover. We're going to look at it. We're going to see it, okay? The Bible says at that time, linked to the crucifixion, that Peter is therefore kept in prison. By, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. I mean, they are praying. They are on their face praying for this apostle. Praying for this man and God day and night while he's in prison. The scripture tells us here that he's put in verse 4 that he's delivered to four quatrains of soldiers. Say four. four. Quatrains of soldiers. He's delivered into the hands of these men by Herod the king. And the Lord gave me this title because we're talking about the passion of the book of Acts. The title this morning is the passion of a potentate. The passion of a potentate. A potentate is a ruler. The Lord is the supreme ruler. The Lord said there is a passionate potentate here. Number one, the passionate potentate is Herod. But what you're going to see before it's all over is you're going to see in this chapter the removal of the false potentate and the setting up of the true potentate. Because it's linked with four quatrains of soldiers. Now that means four fours. There's four watches in the night, in the Roman night. And so what Herod did was he placed four men, four men, four men, four men, Four for each one of the watches of the night. You with me here? Wow. Now, the Bible says, though, when he's delivered, he walks through three different things. First ward, second ward, third ward. So you've got a total of seven here. And you've got four uh, that, that's linked to his captivity. Now watch this. Okay, you ready? A passionate potentate. Herod is passionate as a earthly king. He's passionate. To build his own rapport with the people. He's passionate to be a man pleaser. 
He's passionate to get glory for himself. He wants people to call him God. He's passionate for that. He's Agrippa. You with me here? And because of his passion then to get glory for himself and to get the approval of men, he'll do anything to get that. So he kills a very godly apostle and takes another one and puts him in a prison to try to stop the word that's being preached. Amen. The word of the true king. The word of God from being preached. And before it's all over, we're going to see the removal of this passionate potentate with the true potentate. Amen. Now, four quadrants of soldiers, he's, he's now bound there. And he's placed in this prison or this guardhouse. The number four is the number of creation. Say creation. You've got four directions. North, south, east, and west. You've got four seasons in the year, etc. Right? Just, there's a lot of things that will show you that creation is linked to the number four. Now, this man is bound. He's has four quatrains of soldiers placed over him, but God is going to deliver him. He's going to walk through that. He's going to get out of that and pass through three things that are blocking him, and he goes into the city. Say, into the city. Now, when you talk about the number four, it's the number of creation, but it's also the, the first number that you can square. It's the first number that you can divide. Okay? How, two and two is four, right? So you can divide it. It is, is a square. It's a cube. So that it speaks of completion. Or finished. A, something that's finished. Or a completion thing. You with me here? It speaks of, remember the four cherubim? That are around the throne of God? Okay, remember the book of Genesis when it talks about there was... A, a cherub placed at the Garden of Eden. We're at. At the entrance into the Garden of Eden. To do what? To keep the way. So when you talk about this here, this number four, you're talking about something very important here. You're talking about dimensions in the Spirit. You are talking about, at times, guardian angels. So guardian spirit. So there's something that's spiritually connected to a guard. <clears throat> Good angels. Also, it's connected to demons. Demons are placed there as the enemy of God's church to hinder your moving into the ultimate finished work of God. That ultimate place called the most holy place. They are there to stop you. They are there to shut you down. So you've got guardian angels that are there to protect the way into that ultimate hope of creation. And what is that ultimate hope? It says they, they kept the way or guarded the way to the tree of life. So they literally guarded the way into life. So it was the hope of creation. That at some point creation would move out of this bondage into the hope of immortality. And it was done by an angel standing there in Genesis 3. Standing there guarding the way or keeping the way of life immortal. That's the hope of creation. 
And the only way that can happen is by blood. You with me here to this point? You understand the story, right? When man fell. When man fell, he brought sin into the world. And as a result, he got cast out of the garden. And that cherub was placed there to keep the way. Doesn't mean to keep him out of there, but to keep the way of life. So they could come back in. But the only way they could come back in was by blood. So these cherubim that you see in, like Ezekiel, four cherubim, in Revelation 4, four cherubim, they speak to you of creation. They are concerned with creation. They are concerned with the redemption of creation. And they, it's done by the blood, the finished work of the cross, that creation can move into immortality or that you can be saved. So they are guarding the way. But demons, on the other hand... Are there to keep you out of moving in the dimensions that God has for you. The kings of this earth, demon powers, the king of this earth, the prince of the power of the air, is placed there to hinder you from moving on into the dimensions of God. You are in an invisible battle. Herod was a man. He's the king of the earth in a visible, physical manifestation. But behind him is Satan. You with me? Behind him is a prince of the power of the air. So that he's trying to take these men out. Very key men. So that God, he knows God is going to use key men. To preach to his church so his church can move, God's church can move into dimensions in the spirit. So if the devil can get the key men out, get the apostles out, then he thinks that, it, and, it, and it will, it will affect the whole church from moving into the ultimate purpose of God. But at the same time, there are angels that are here now. See, some of you think that you're just fighting against flesh and blood. But flesh and blood is acting like they've never acted before. And the reason why they're acting like they've never acted before is because they are children of the night. They are the children of disobedience like Herod, whom the devil is operating on and through to seek to shut you down and stop you from moving into the things of God. Give God praise. There are times when God will give me a word that somebody's coming up against opposition. Family, friends, all kinds of opposition coming up against them. That's what God is telling me. Nobody out there is telling me that. But after I say that, then, they, then my wife finds out, you know, that, hey, so-and-so is having, uh, you know, war with their family. I said, yeah, God sh told me that that was going on. They didn't tell me or nobody else told me, but God told me. See, what well, it's something that's going on in the spirit. <clears throat> so that when you come into the kingdom of God and you're now under the true potentate, the true ruler... Then, as a result of that, the prince of darkness is going to rise up and he's going to get behind people like Herod to try to take you out, to try to kill you, or to try to imprison you so you cannot move in the things of God. 
But God's angels, the cherubim, of course, they never go on errands. They're always around the throne. So they're associated with the true potentate. They're associated with the true throne of God. So what God does then, he's dispatched angels to help you like he did Peter to get you on your way passing through dimensions. God's good. On the other hand, you've got a very wicked king by the name of Herod who's motivated by demon powers. He wants self-glorification. It's my will, not God's will. Trying to shut it all down. So that's the war right now that's going on in the spirit. The prince and powers of darkness are trying to shut it all down. But God's kingdom says, no, 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 no. I'm going to send my angel forth to bring my people up. I'm going to bring them forth through that. Okay, watch this. I've got to get them to that square. I've got to get them to that Jerusalem. I've got to get them to that city. I've got to get Peter through these four quadrants of soldiers. I've got to get him through the first ward, the second ward, and then the, the gate into the city. I've got to get him in the city of Jerusalem. But the enemy's trying to shut him down, keep him from moving into the city. But I'm here to tell you that there is a passionate potentate that, listen to me, the devil is passionate. He's passionate against God. He's passionate. He works 24 hours a day to try to shut the church down. He's working 24 hours a day to try to shut you down. 24 hours a day to try to shut me down. Anything he can throw at you, he's going to throw at you because he's a very passionate potentate. He's anything but lukewarm about what he's doing. The, the, the devil is anything but indifferent about what he's doing. I mean, he's working overtime right now. Bible talks about in the future tribulation period, he's going to be cast to the earth. And he's going to come down in great wrath. Knowing he's got but a short time. Which means he's going to intensify his efforts to take as many people to hell as he possibly can. That's why you can't listen to your own mind. And you can't listen to people who don't walk with God around you. Because most... They are operating in another kingdom. They're operating in another dimension. They're operating, they're motivated by the devil. And he is passionate about what he's doing. Have you ever noticed that his main purpose is to get your passion? So he uses people to try to discourage you. Uses people to try to make you give up. Where do you think all that's coming from? It's coming from, you've got to find out who your enemy is in order to be victorious over your enemy. If you don't know who your enemy is, you'll never be victorious over. All this opposition and this warfare that's coming against you to try to shut you down and to take your passion and your excitement away is coming from the potentate who is a passionate potentate, but he's the prince of the power of the air. He wants to shut you down, discourage you, take your morale away. Because he knows if he can get the, your morale, he can get you discouraged. Then he can incapacitate you. He can make you a prison. A prisoner of his prison house. 
and he's got guards that he's placing over you to make sure you stay in that prison house. But God's going to release one of his guardian angels so you can be set free from that prison house so you can move in the things of God. He is passionate. Because he knows that if he can get, you know what an army, if an army goes to war and their morale is down, man, I feel God. See, i got to preach another part of this tonight. God gave me two parts, one for the morning, one for the night. But if you, you could be the most powerful army in the earth. But if your morale's down, you can be whipped by the weakest army. Are you with me? And I'm telling you, as a church, you are the most powerful army in the earth because you are God's army and your king is Jesus. But the enemy is working overtime. He's very passionate about getting your morale. Because he knows how powerful you are. He knows he can't stop you in your power and who you are. He knows more than you know about who you are in God. He's afraid of you. And because he knows you're more powerful than he is, then what he's got to do is he's got to attack your morale. He's got to discourage you. And he's working hard to do that. Because he knows if he can get the morale of the people of God then it doesn't matter how powerful they are. They're so discouraged and so down and so depressed. You know, well, we walk around, well, I'm depressed. Yeah, but see, that depression is coming from somewhere. It's coming from a spirit who's very passionate to bring you down to that place. To imprison you to that place. You get somebody that's excited. Somebody that's on, on fire. Somebody that's not depressed and discouraged. And they can be the weakest, so-called weakest person in the church. But they can turn a city upside down. But you take even a very powerful man of God and you you incapacitate him. Not much going to be going on in the kingdom. So that's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to get your morale. He's trying to get my morale. And he does it primarily through, you know, for us, we know where the world stands. You know, the world comes against me and tries to get me to stop living for God, stop being on fire, stop, you know, try to get me to compromise what I know is truth. Uh, yeah, I, really, I don't have a problem with that. But I'll tell you where the real battle comes. The real battle comes within the church. From, uh, from um, uh, among brethren so-called. You got to hear me from carnal Christians. Now, listen to me in the book of Revelation. Now, I know you think I'm just rambling on here, but I'm just going by the spirit. In the book of Revelation, you have three kinds of people in three realms. You've got earth realm. The earth realm people are carnal Christians. They are Christians who feed off of the land. Then you've got the sea people. The sea people. Hello, somebody. The sea people, according to Isaiah, is the wicked. 
and then you got the heavenly people. They are the spiritual people. So where the real struggle is for the church is not so much the seed people, the wicked. The struggle for the church is the carnally minded Christian that sits in our midst, that's feeding off of the land. That's where the struggle is for the spiritually minded person. Give God some praise. But God's going to judge those areas. I'm going to show you. Except for the heavenly the spiritually. God's awesome. He's awesome. But you see, you've got to understand what's going on. The enemy is hitting the church here in very key areas so that it will affect the morale of the church. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Even the church that we see praying for Peter, they're so discouraged when the, pray, when the answer comes, they can't receive it because they're so down. They're really not praying from a position of faith. They're just praying from a position of despair. They are down. So that when the answer comes, they're so down, they can't even receive it. So the enemy's key is to, to try to discourage the whole church. Try to take the whole church out by defeating key people. Give God praise. When you look at these caribbean we're talking about, let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. Now you're going you're gonna to understand what I'm telling you here. That these... There's four quatrains. God gave four for a reason. Four fours. He gave it for a reason. Because every four lays on every four in the Bible. So it means something. You know, if, if God wanted to, he could just say, Peter got thrown in jail. And then Peter got delivered. But see, he gives specifics for a reason. Because he wants you to see something more than just a man getting captured and put in a physical cell and then getting delivered. He wants you to see more than that. Now, Revelation 4, let's go there. These, we talk about these four carabine. Revelation 4, we have them around the throne. They're crying, holy, 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 right? Who are the four carabine? One with the face of a what? Lion? One with the face of an ox, one with the face of a man, and one with the face of an eagle. Say four. Four carabine. Say four. Peter is surrounded by four quatrains of soldiers. It's, it's linked to creation. Now watch. Okay. These four creatures cry, holy, holy, holy. Notice what they do. Verse 9, when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, their focus is the true potentate. And see, the devil knows what this is all about. That's why he tries to operate in those realms in the earth. That's why there's four quatrains of soldiers placed over Peter. Because at one time, he was in the heavens. And he understands the significance of the number four. He understands how it's linked to the potentate or to the throne. 
Now notice what it says. They give glory and honor to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him. That would be us. And I don't have time to get in and explain all that to you. But the Bible says they give glory to him that sat on the throne. Look at that. And they worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, one, honor, two, power, three. For thou hast created all things for thy pleasure, and they are and were created. Because they're linked to creation, they can only give God glory in four dimensions. But you read in Revelation 5, when the heavenly people give praise and glory to God, I believe it's seven different things, because seven is the number of heaven, four is the number of the earth. And because these cherubim are linked to creation and creation's redemption, then they can only give glory to Jesus in the level of four. Are you with me here? 5, 13. Chapter 5, 13. And every creature which is in heaven, say heaven. heaven. Now we're moving to heaven also and on earth and under the earth. And such as were in the sea and all that were in them heard I saying, Blessing, honor, glory, power unto him that sitteth upon the throne in the land forever and ever. And the four beasts. See, we got four there, right? Link, it's creation. Linked to creation. The four beasts. Say four said amen and four twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever so again we have the number four linked here now just hang in here we're going somewhere now go to chapter six chapter six verse one and i saw when a lamb opened one of the seals and i heard as it were the noise of thunder one of the four beasts saying come and see so they are around the throne they are in the most holy place they are in that cube. With me here? In the Old Testament tabernacle, 10 by 10 by 10, it's a cube. So they are in the most holy place. And from the most holy place, these four cherubim are operating. And they are recognizing the true king, the true potentate on the throne. And they recognize him in four ways. Worship him in four ways. So now in Revelation 6, these four cherubim linked to the throne of God are now the ones who are bringing the message. So the message is coming out of the most holy place. The message is coming out of a finished work. It is these four that are crying forth, calling forth the judgment upon the usurper. The Antichrist is a usurper. The devil is a usurper. And it is these four cherubim that call forth these riders on the horse to bring forth judgment upon the false potentate. To bring judgment upon and to remove the removal of the false king of this earth. You got it? Are you with me here? Do you understand? You need to understand this. Hello, somebody. And you've got four riders that come forth on horse. Not five riders, but four riders. They're the seal judgments. First rider comes forth as he's summoned by the four cherubim from the most holy place. Watch. The first rider comes forth. He's a rider on the white horse. 
Now, dual things. I believe that speaks to number one of the Antichrist. But let's talk about Jesus. This rider that is coming forth on the white horse speaks to me of him bringing righteousness to us. After the rider on the white horse, number two horse comes forth. He's a rider on a red horse. It's by the blood of Jesus that we are forgiven of our sins. After the rider on the red horse comes forth, the rider on the black horse. Spiritual death. Jesus suffered spiritual death on the cross for us. Number four horse comes forth riding forth. He's pale green in color. Death and hell follows him. That speaks of a curse. Jesus became a curse for us. Now watch this. As these horses are coming forth, what is this doing? It's bringing about the redemption of man. Say redemption of man. But it's removing the false king as these judgments are taking place. Now there's more than one way to look at those verses, but... Anyway, I'm, just, I'm going somewhere with this. As you continue to read the next three seals, you will see that as you move to the end of this, that the focus is the throne. Give God praise. The focus is the throne. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, you had four world powers. So now God... Those four world powers are really usurping. God's in charge, yeah. But the Bible says eventually those four powers are removed and he sets up his throne. Say, four powers. So world powers are going to fall so that the true king can be rightfully set, rightfully enthroned, and rightly coronated. Are you here with me? Go to Revelation 7. And after these things I saw four angels. Why four angels? Well, because it's, it's significant. The Bible says he saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Holding the four winds of the earth. That the wind should not blow on the earth nor on the sea nor on any tree who are the four winds they are a people who have a revelation of the finished work and I'm going to prove it to you what is their purpose I'm going to show you so we've got these four angels four spirits standing on the four corners of the earth again the number of creation holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth say on the earth that's the carnal Christian on the sea, that's the wicked, nor on any tree. Now that's interesting because remember when, now, am I losing y'all? Are y'all with me to this point? <laughs> Say the passionate potentate. The removal of the false, the setting of the true. Now watch. Jesus came to a man who was blind. He healed that man and when the man's eyes were opened, he said, I see men as trees. Are you with me? You know the earth speaks of the dust man. Right? I'll say carnal Christian. You know the sea speaks of the wicked. Isaiah says that. The wicked are like the troubled sea. The blind man, when his eyes were open, said, I see men as trees. 
How could he have ever said, I see men as trees, because have he never seen a tree before? God gave, listen, that man was blind. He don't know what a tree looks like. He don't even know what a man looks like. But he says, I see men as trees. Because, first of all, God had to give him a spiritual revelation about a tree, that a tree was a type of a man. Then he says, and then Jesus touched him again. And he says, now I see him, you know, as men. The second touch. My point as you go through the book of Revelation, it's symbolism. So that we've got these angels holding back the four winds so that they don't, watch, should not blow on the earth, carnal Christians, nor on the sea, wicked man, nor on any tree, still talking about man. You with me? And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom he was given to hurt the earth and the sea. See, now they're, they're, they're held back right there. But their purpose is to hurt the earth and the sea. The carnal and the wicked. He cried with a loud voice to the four, say four angels, to whom he was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. We've got to seal some people in their foreheads with understanding. There has to be a people of understanding in the earth. They've got the nature of God in them. They understand the things of God. They've got a revelation of Jesus. See, the problem with the earth and the problem with the sea and the problem with the tree, talking about man spiritually, is that they don't have a revelation of Jesus. And so the devil uses them to come. Jesus. Now watch. And I heard the number of them which was sealed. There were sealed 144,000. The number 144,000 speaks of the overcomer. Even 144,000 speaks of the finished work. Are you with me? So he says they got... Now, this is a symbolic number here. Now I believe literal too, but... Watch this. I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the children of Israel, of the tribe of Judah. Why does God start out with the tribe of Judah? He's not the firstborn. Things are out of order here. Reuben is the firstborn. Jewish people are very, very strict about order. So they always list the firstborn first and go on down as order of age. But in the book of Revelation, it starts with Judah because Jesus rose from Judah. So that what God is showing you is that this people is a spiritual people. They have the seal of God in their foreheads. They are a people who have been born again. This is just not natural Israel he's talking about. This is a spiritual seed of God who has an understanding and a revelation of God. They have been born again. They are Judah. They are praisers. Are y'all are y'all okay out there? And it lists all of these, these various kings, right? Now watch. 
uh, various tribes. But you have to find out what the, they mean. We've already get done through that, but uh, you have to find what they mean. Now, here's what I wanted you to see. Verse 9, After this I held, beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man can number of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. It's not two gods. There's only one God. He is the... Jesus is God sitting on the throne, and He's also the Lamb sitting on the throne. But the focus is the potentate. The focus is the throne. Now watch. You've got these connections here. You see what I'm saying? Trying to show you. Now he goes on and says this. Verse 11. And all the angels stood round about the throne. About the elders. And the four beasts fell before the throne on their faces. And worshipped God. Saying blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, might. Seven. Now, when you get to that place in Revelation, it's not just four things they're ascribing him, but now they are a heavenly people. This is talking about a spiritual people who've got a revelation of Jesus. Now, because they've got a revelation of Jesus, they ascribe to him seven things. And it's associated with the throne. They recognize the true potentate. Because these cherubim are involved in the calling forth of the judgment upon the usurper. So he can be removed and the true king can be seen. If nothing else, you can see in the book of Revelation. If nothing else, you can see the throne is the focus. You got this? Wow, God's good, isn't he? Now go to chapter 8. We finally come in chapter 8 to the opening of the seventh seal. Hello? When we open the seventh seal, in the seventh seal, there are what? Seven trumpets. Now, the Bible tells us, what is the focus here again? Watch this. Now, I, I know I'm in Acts 12, but I've got to give you this foundation to understand. The warfare of the false potentate and his intensity versus the passion of the true potentate. You got me here? Watch. Chapter 8. And I'm not going to read all of these, but I want to get to the fourth angel with the fourth trumpet. Now, just to go back with you, because number four is related to creation again. What happened on the fourth day? The sun and the moon and the stars are given for light the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night so that the sun the moon the stars speak of rulers and when did that happen fourth day now we come to the fourth trumpet in revelation and you can even look go back to revelation 6 and look at the fourth seal but here particularly, verse 12, the fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun. So that fours lay on fours. So now there is a smiting of the sun or a smiting of the ruler of the day. And a third part of the moon. Now we got the ruler of the night smitten. 
You with me here? And the Bible said, and a third part of the stars, they speak of rulers. Now watch this. So as a third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Now immediately following that, we have angels coming forth, three more trumpets, trumpet angels, and they say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you here? Genesis. Let's go back there because i got to show it to you. Go to Genesis, please. Is everybody, you doing okay out there? I'm fixing to show you something about Peter. It's very powerful in Acts 12. But Genesis, let's look at chapter 1. For example, the fourth day. Okay, let's start with verse uh, 14. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day. And the lesser light to rule the night. So we're talking about rulers here. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And to rule over the day and over the night. And to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Right? And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now... When you get to the fourth day, there is a separation between the fourth and the other three days. In Revelation, there's a separation. You've got these four trumpets, and then you've got three angels with the other three trumpets saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. So there's a separation there. It's a four, four, three principle. Now watch this. In Genesis, as God is creating these, or doing these various things in these days, He says, And God saw that it was good. First four days, he said, it was good. But when you get to the fifth, sixth, and seventh day, there's a division between the first four and the last three days. And the division is this. The Bible says, watch this. You ready? Here we go. And God set the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature. Verse 20, that hath life, fowl that hath... May, move, uh, may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heaven. God created great wells. Every living creature that moveth, the waters brought forth abundantly every, after their kind. Every wing fell after its kind. God saw that it was good, and God blessed them. That's the difference. Four days before, God did not bless those four days. But the fifth day, when God gets through, He blessed it. And the sixth day, when He gets through creating man, the Bible said, and God blessed it. And the seventh day, when God finished all that He had done, read it for yourself. I don't have time to read all of it. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God ended His work, which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work, which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day. So the fifth day and the sixth day and the seventh day, God blessed it. First four days, He didn't because He's trying to show you a separation. Revelation, though, comes along and we see four angels sounding four trumpets. The fourth day, the sun, the moon, the stars, or a third part of them, are brought it out. He's touching the rulers. You with me here? Instead of now, instead of the last three trumpets having a blessing upon them, now God's reversing it and He's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. So that what He's trying to show you is He's removing the old creation 
and he is partying and establishing the new creation. You got the point? So there's a 4-3 there's a principle. There's a division there. A separation that God's trying to show you something here. Whew. But right now we have a usurper in the earth, Satan. Who's claiming, no, it belongs to me. I'm the ruler of this planet. No, Lord said, I already, I created it. Then I redeemed it by my blood. It doesn't belong to you. But see, he's got to be kicked out. The usurper's got to be removed so that the true potentate can be recognized. Herod's a type and a picture of the false. Where Jesus is, is the true potentate. He's not a type. He is the true. But there's got to be the removing of this false so that the truth can be seen. That's what's going on in the book of Revelation. Are you with me here? Okay, give God praise. See, those four world powers, they got to come down. He's going to set up his kingdom. Ooh, God's good. Wow. If you look at the parables in Matthew 13, you've got seven parables. There's a division that's there. Three of them are done inside the house. It speaks of internal things of the kingdom. Four of them are done outside the house. Which speaks of how the kingdom affects the outside world. And, th- and there's, a, there's, two, there's really just two right there. There's the three and the four. Now I'm going to give that to you tonight. So come back. I'll explain that. Because you need this tonight. It speaks of two things. Okay. The purpose of the enemy is to try to get you down. Now go with me to Zechariah now. Now watch this. Talking about four. Zechariah in chapter one. Minor prophet. What do we have there? We have the Lord is there. The Bible tells us that he's got these scouts, these angel scouts that are going forth where? Throughout the earth. To scout the earth. That's their purpose. You with me? So they're going out to scout the earth and to do what? To administer over it. You with me? That's the first chapter. Read it. Read it. You'll find out and I'm telling you the truth. Now. Hallelujah. Go to chapter 6. Because I'm linking this back to Revelation 7. The four winds. Okay. I'm in Daniel. i got to get to Zechariah. You know, that's something. I, one time I turned to the wrong passage of Scripture. Started preaching under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And fit right into the message. <laughs> but I don't. Okay, Zechariah 6. Watch this. I turned, looked at my eyes, and looked, and behold, there came four, four chariots out from between two mountains. And on the mountains were mountains of brass. Now mountains speak of kingdom. In the first chariot were red horses. In the second chariot, black horses. The third chariot, white horses. The fourth chariot, gristled and bay horses. What are they doing? 
Then I answered and said unto the angel, and talk to me, what are these, my Lord? The angel answered and said unto me, these are the four spirits, are literally the four winds. They are the four winds. Now, what is their purpose going to be? Well, we had the scouts in chapter 1 administering or looking and checking the kingdom out, what was going on in the kingdom. Now, in chapter 6, they are going to go forth to bring forth judgment. Why? So that the true king can be crowned. That's their purpose. But they are four spirits or they are four winds. The Bible said there are four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. The black horses which are therein go forth into the north country. The white go forth after them. The gristle go forth toward the south country. And the bay went forth and sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the earth. And he said, get you hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Then cried he upon me and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Take of them the captivity, even of Hilda, of Tobijah, and of Jed- Jedediah, which are come from Babylon. Whew. Now, you got, you got to see this. You see, are you with me here? The king of Babylon. And, the, the, okay. and come thou the same day, and go into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Then take silver, gold, and make crowns. And set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. So as these four winds go forth, these four spirits go forth, judging the earth, then that is going to produce the crowning of the true king. Joshua is seen being crowned when the four winds, that's why I'm telling you that those winds are set up by God to bring judgment on the earth and on the sea. But in the midst of that, there's a people who have a revelation of Jesus as king and the finished work. Now watch this. So that here in this chapter, not only Joshua crowned, watch this, verse 12, speaking to him, saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, hello, host of God, saying, behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall go grow up out of his place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. So it's connected with the building of the house of God. Now watch. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Now watch this. And the crown shall be to Helam and to Tobijah and to Jedediah. Jediah and to him the son of Zephaniah for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. So not only is God Jesus crowned, but his people are also crowned. We become joint heirs with Christ in his king. And so in Revelation 7, it speaks to those people being sealed by God. They've got the nature of God. They're operating in kingdom understanding. And they are a mess, messengers with a message. What's the message? The finished work in the cross. They've got it too. Now watch this. Go to Zechariah 2. So that these four winds, verse 6. You with me? Ho, ho. Come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad. I have spread you abroad. Who? His people. 
as what? The four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. The Bible talks about wind of doctrine. Hear you with me? Don't be shaken by every wind of doctrine. So then wind speaks of a message. Here in chapter 2 verse 6, it speaks of the messengers. So we see here that the wind, the four winds speak of a people. A messenger with a doctrine, with a message. And that message is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his enthronement. That he is the true king. We've got a revelation of that. And we've got an understanding of that. And that's what, listen, that's what brings the judgment upon the old king of the earth that's in between my ears. That message is coming against what's in your mind right now, what's in between your ears right now, that's in opposition to God. Every time you hear the message from the messenger, that's why the devil had to try to somehow shut up Peter and take Jacob or James out of the earth because they were messengers with a message. And they were establishing that Jesus is the true king and that by his blood, creation has been redeemed. So the devil, the first potentate, tried to take them out any way he can so he can discourage the church from going forth as the winds into the earth to affect the, the, the earth and the sea that's in between your ears. The whole purpose of the enemy is to come against you to take you out. So you will not be the messenger with the message that's like the mighty wind of God that goes forth affecting the earth and the sea. Affecting the carnal Christian and affecting the wicked man. Because I want you to know the heavenly people have already got the revelation. The heavenly people have already been sealed by God. So we have a very passionate potentate who's the devil who wants to shut you down in your praise, shut you down in your word, shut you down in the message. We got people going to come in here and sit in this church and they think they know a lot about God but they've never met God. They don't know God. They need a revelation of Jesus Christ. They need to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible said this, Jesus said this. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God except you be born of the water and the Spirit. Then he says this. He says when you get filled with the Spirit it's like the wind. He said the wind, come on, listeth, it, it, it goes, it cometh forth, it goes where it wants to go. You can't see it, but you hear the sound thereof. So is everyone. So the wind, he says, is everyone. So that everyone is a people that's been filled with the wind of God who have the word of God and they are going forth and declaring and affecting the earth. They are affecting the sea. They are affecting the trees. And as they do, there is a removal of the false usurper and the setting up of the true. Not just in the heavenly realm, but inside of a person. See, the conflict is over who rules. It's always that way, and it will always be that way. Who's in charge? 
I'm in charge of this house. I'm in charge of this family. I'm in charge. It's always that. That's where the conflict is. That's where the struggle is. Who's in charge? I'm here to tell you who is. Jesus is in charge. But at the same time, the devil's operating very passionately. I guarantee you, friend, he came to church this morning to sit with you. He came to church this morning as one of the sons of God. The devil goes to church more than most people go to church. And when he came here today, he came here to mess up, mess with your mind, to shut you down, to imprison you in four quatrains of soldiers, world powers, world dominions, whatever he can. But he is very, very passionate. He is like the king of Herod who goes forth to take you out to kill you if he's got to. Or imprison you if he can't kill you. You hearing what I'm saying? So the only way you can handle this is fire with fire. If he's passionate to discourage you, if he's passionate to take you out, if he's passionate to, stru- to stop you, what you got to do is get passionate to- against that. We can't give in to that depression. We can't give in to that low morale. We can't give in to that imprisonment. It's there. I feel it. I sense it. But that doesn't mean i got to give in to it. I can rise. In this same chapter, in this same book of Zechariah, God says, I'm going to go forth. I'm going to show you how I'm going to deal with this. He said, I'm going to go forth, and I'm going to be like a wall of fire round about Jerusalem. So that right now, the enemy might be usurping his authority. And God is sending his scouts out to administer the earth to to go back and report to the Lord what's going on. But then God's going to send forth the four winds, those four spirits, a people, a messenger with a message. And when they go forth, God's going to be like a wall of fire around about her everywhere she goes. The enemy tried to cool her down, tried to take her passion, tried to take her morale. But God said, I'm going to be like a wall of fire around the battle. You can't shut her down. You can't calm her. You can't calm her down. See, we got to learn how to rise up and fight that potentate. It's not in my own power or my own authority. It's in a revelation of what the enemy's trying to do to me. Number one, number two, understand who the true king is. Give God praise. I go to Acts twelve. <clears throat> Hallelujah. 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 I back there praying, you know. Certain people should be here, not here. I don't know where they are. And I've tried, I've tried, I've tried to preach to them, get, get them where they need to be in God. But you know what? They keep playing and keep playing and keep playing. You know what I did? I said, God, I can't do anything with them. I, it's impossible. I can't do anything with them. I said, God, I put them in your hands. They're in your hands now. Whatever you got to do to get them where they need to be in God, you got to shake their tree. You got to shake their earth. You got to shake their sea. Whatever you got to do, God, I'm not going to be discouraged by 
brethren so curled anymore. I put them in your hands, God. Because I know what the enemy's trying to do. He'll try to come in your family and do just what I'm telling you right now. You start walking with God on fire for God. Watch, watch what happens. That passionate potentate, Herod. Herod's going to rise up. Herod speaks of the flesh. Come on. Adam, motivated by the enemy. He rises up in the midst of that, in the midst of any type of revival. That's what's going on in this in book of Acts. Powerful revival is taking place in the midst of that. The potentate rises up, Herod. You don't believe me, do you? When Jesus was born, who was it that tried to do away with him? Herod, another Herod, rose up and said, no, the throne belongs to me. Who is this king that I hear about? Oh, I've got some competition now. Another king's here. Get rid of that king. I'm going to kill him. That's what Herods are always about. The flesh and the, the flesh motivated by the king of darkness. They're always about who's in charge. When Jesus is first born, the true king. In the prophets, he was a king that was coming. In the gospels, he's a king that's come. He's here. And so Herod said, no, 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 no. no. What's going on here? I'm the king. We got to get rid of this other king. There's competition in the house. I want to tell you something. There's competition in your house. And Jesus said, no, I'm the true king. Herod is going to try to rise up in you to try to smother that true king out. Take his authority, his rule out of your life. But you've got to recognize what's going on. Say, no, Jesus is the king. I'm not in charge. Jesus is in charge. Herod. I know you want to be in charge. I know you want to, you know, kill me. And I want you to, and I know you want to imprison me. But I want to tell you right now, the reason why you're doing that is because I declare that Jesus is the king. I declare that Jesus is the true potentate. And you don't like that. Anytime Jesus is lifted up, anytime Jesus is magnified, anytime Jesus is praised, here is always going to be sitting in the house somewhere. So the Lord says, well, that's, that's not a problem for me. I'll just take him out of the way. I'll take Herod out of the way. I'll get rid of the usurper. I'll do it with a trumpet. I'll do it with, come on, I'll do it with a seal. I'll do it with four winds. Look at him and say, he does it with a trumpet. How many of y'all ever seen a trumpet prepare itself to sound? Bible said the trumpets prepared themselves to sound. I, I never in my life had never seen a shofar walk up on a platform. And stand there by itself and prepare itself to sound. The trumpet speaks of a prophetic word. You've got to prepare yourself to sound before you sound. There's a lot of people that sounding off in pulpits that haven't prepared themselves to sound. Best thing you can do is sit on, get in a pew somewhere and sit there until you learn, till you have something to say. Prepare yourself to sound. He's talking about God's vessels, His messengers. Physical trumpets don't prepare themselves. It's the people that prepare themselves to sound. And it's by that that God removes Hear it. 
But that's where the conflict is. I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I'm the man. No, just, just say this. I'm Herod. Because there's a competition going on for your soul. What's in between your mind? Herod and Jesus. And it will be Herod or Jesus. So as long as you want Jesus, you have to keep coming. And let those things in your life that are Herod be judged and be removed. By hell. A revelation. By judgment. He's awesome, man. I want Jesus. So let's go to Acts 12. Man, the Lord's really given us some... I sense the spirit of Herod around here. Operating in some of God's very anointed vessels. Operating on them to discourage them. Tell them, no, 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 no. You, I want my way. I want my way. Oh, friend, it's not my way. It's his. It's not my will, but his will. It's not Herod's will. It's Jesus' will. That, that thing that gets a hold of us, that wants to pout and suck its thumb and want its way, and you have no control over it, is Herod. Woo, God. But I'm here to tell you right now, with the same passion that Herod had, it's much greater in Jesus, the true potentate. Herod is going to have to bow to this king. You might as well throw up your hand and say, I've done my will, Jesus, but your will be done. If I, you want to set me on a pew, set me on a pew. You want to put me on a shelf, put me on a shelf. You want to put me in prison, go ahead. Herod doesn't like this King Jesus. There's a spirit operating in and through him. So he kills James in Passover days. Whew. Yeah, mocking the blood. Mocking the finished work. His blood doesn't have power to forgive you. His blood doesn't have power to redeem you. His blood can't do anything for you. His spirit can't save you. And he mocks the blood. He mocks the finished work. He makes you a prisoner to your sin. He makes you a captive to yourself. Makes you a captive to your past. Man, I feel the Lord in this house. And so now he's got one of the key men in the church. And now, because he sees the Jews. Now, you, you know, I could go there and I could show you how the Bible talks about that. Uh, the Bible says that Joseph, his mama, and his daddy, and his 11 brothers came down and gave obeisance to him. And there they are called the sun, the moon, and the stars. So that what God is doing is showing you he stepped out of the old covenant with Israel. 
And he brought in the new covenant. That's why in Acts 2, the Bible talks about there's going to be the darkening of the sun, and the moon, and the stars in Acts 2. It's associated with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. What God is showing you is this, is that, listen, Israel broke the covenant with me. So I judged that. Lights went out when I was crucified. Lights went out. That doesn't mean God's finished with Israel. It just means the circle got bigger. But he's not operating in a natural type thing. He said, I stepped out of that and I'm moving into the spiritual things of the kingdom. Hello, somebody. It's all about Jesus. We got to get rid of some of these key figures here. Hmm, let's start with James, the brother of John, the son of thunder. And thunder is the message of the most holy place. So let's start with the son of thunder because I don't like anything that has to do with that cube. I don't like anything that has to do with the thunder and the lightning that's in that finished throne room there. So let's get rid of a son of thunder because he's got a message of the throne. So let's take him out. Let's cut his head off. But you know, you can cut the head of a prophet off, but you can't get rid of his message. Hallelujah. And this Herod, yeah, look, I got a victory over the kingdom of God. Got a victory over a man who's got a revelation of the throne. Took his head off. Yeah, yeah, he feels real good. Now the Jews, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And the natural, natural Israel is enjoying the crucifixion, or the killing, I should say. It's, in a sense, it's the death, their crucifixion. The killing of these men of God. Hello, somebody. Why didn't Herod go down there and get somebody? Why didn't he go get Brother, brother, brother Steve? Uh, he got Brother Steve already. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, why not about, uh, oh, Brother Mike. Why didn't he go to the church get Brother Mike? Because nobody knew Brother Mike. He's a saint in the church. Now, he went to those figures, key figures. That he knew if he could get those, the enemies after that, those top leaders, the generals in the kingdom, he can get them, bring them down, discourage them. He knows he can defeat the church. Or try to defeat the church. Take out James. Now the church is mourning. Come on. Then he says, oh yeah, well, yeah, the Jews enjoy that. So I think I'll go get Peter. Now. He shouldn't have done that. Because now the church is doing what they should be doing. They lost one leader, but they're not about to see another one go. And so they go to God in prayer. Now listen to me. The Bible didn't tell me that when James is beheaded, that the church is praying for him. But when Peter's taken to be a prisoner, ultimately to be killed by Herod, the same way James was, the church has finally waken up. 
Herod got one of my leaders, but he's not going to get Peter. Why is it that people, come on, they should have been on their knees praying for James. They should have, not just after James is dead and gone, now they're going to pray for Peter. Well, that, their, their prayer was effectual and it worked. Your prayer works. If you're not praying, James can be killed. If the latter James of that chapter is killed, Jerusalem falls. You see what I'm trying to show you here? Why do the church have to go through leaders before they finally get the finally get it? They get their attention, you know. Now, ooh, now we gotta pray. James is gone. Now we better pray for Peter. He's gonna be gone too. Before we know it, it's go down the line. Down the line it goes. We don't pray. Their prayer affected the release of Peter into the purpose and dimensions of God. I'm gonna show it to you in a minute. It also affected the ejection of Herod. If you're not praying, the devil is beating the church up. If you're not praying, Herod is beating the pastor up and his wife. If we're not praying, you got all kinds of conflict going on. And it will continue to be that way. Conflict in the house. Conflict in the church. Conflict everywhere you go until you get the message. I need to pray. Till I get the message. I need to pray. Because one of those two kings are going to win. Herod or Jesus. Now I'm trying to, get, I'm trying to encourage you here. But don't wait to lose a leader and then start praying. Pray now before you lose Jacob. But you see, the enemy doesn't want you to understand how powerful you are. He wants to take your morale so you don't pray no more. You're a powerful kingdom. You're a powerful army. But he wants, he's got to discourage you somehow. Get your prayer life. First thing he gets, first thing he's after is your prayer life. So he knows if he can get your prayer life, then he can start hitting the leadership. If he hits the leadership, leadership discouraged or even getting taken out, then the whole church is affected by that. But here's the awesome thing. When the church becomes the church and starts praying and interceding and touching the throne of God, then what happens that usurper, that false potentate, that antichrist spirit, that thing that wants to come against the leadership and that church of the living God to wipe it out has to be held. At, it is held at bay. In case you don't know it, when you came here, you came to the church. You came to the church of Jesus. I'm not saying we're the only one. I'm just saying you came to a body of believers. We don't play church. We're not here to play church. Be religious. I'm, we're here to get it. We want to know Jesus. And Herod rises up. And see what you, some of you are going through. I told my wife, I said, don't worry about those people that are being attacked by other people. I said, that's only going to strengthen their confession. It's going to strengthen their it's going to prove 
their conversion. If every time one of my saints, you know, comes into a conflict with somebody that's challenging them and testing them, I try to run in there and rescue them. I do them a disservice. They need to go through that. They need to experience the Herod. So they learn to pray. Learn how to get a hold of God. Learn how to fight the good fight of faith. Learn how to walk with Jesus. It proves their conversion when they stand up. And it also proves the lack thereof if they cow down. That means Herod's been working on them and they're starting to weaken. Give God praise, man. I feel the Holy Ghost. But don't weaken to hear and stand back up. Don't let him take your morale. Stand back up. Learn what's going on. Learn who the enemy's rising up here. And understand, he's not just passively trying to take you down. He is passionately trying to take us down. Passionately. 24 hours a day. So when you feel that trying to get a hold of you, man, this mess is going to come to you. Whew. Now here we go. So now we got Peter. He's kept in prison, but prayer was made. But prayer. You want to turn your situation around? Pray. You want to turn your church situation around? Pray. You want to change the outcome, the inevitable outcome of the future? Pray. Hair's been rising up to try to stop you from moving in God? Pray. Praise. Worship. Move in the Spirit. Don't be a tree, you know, has to be judged. Be a tree that's being moved in the Spirit of God. That's swaying in the wind of God. Be like the... the be like the mulberry trees. A rustling in the tops of the mulberry trees. As God begins to march through you. Don't be a tree that has to be judged. Don't be a heron that has to be judged. Be a tree that's under the power of God's Spirit. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Oh, glory to God. We lost Jacob, James, but we're not going to lose Peter. At least they're praying. Discouraged, but praying. Cast down, but praying. Herod's in the house, but praying. Herod's on the throne, but praying man I feel the man I tell you I pray you feel what I'm feeling right now in the spirit man God's got this this is man this is he's got this nailed right down he knows what's going on without ceasing of the church unto God for him and when Herod would have brought him forth to do what? To kill him. 
Wives keep praying for that man. Husbands keep praying for that wife. Yeah, you can see the enemy after him. You know. You know the enemy's Herod's walked into your house. You know. I'm trying to tell you how to deal with it. Pray, 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 pray. Pray. Get on your knees. Be like James. Be camel knees, man. Pastor, I can't even hardly walk. Why? Because I got calluses on my knees. I've been praying so much, man. Herod's trying to pop his head up in my house. Herod walks in questioning the authority of Jesus. Walking in there questioning his kingship. Walking in there questioning his rule. Walking in there questioning the holiness. I just don't think that's all necessary. Herod walked in. It's in the Word. It's God. See, Herod's trying to do away with the Word. Here we go. The Bible says they're praying now. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night. We as a church really want to see angels. God, I'd love to see an angel. Get in prison. God, I want to see an angel. Let the sentence of death for your faith be placed on your head. Lose your job for your walk with Jesus. Lose your family because you serve Jesus. Then you'll start seeing angels. Spirits rise up in your church house. Then you'll see angels. Give God praise. Bible says... Ooh, this is powerful. The same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. This is pretty cool though. You know, one thing about Peter is he's resting in the finished work. I mean, could you sleep if the sentence of death was upon you? Hello. Here we go. He's between two. It's hard to sleep too between two soldiers of Herod. With one quatrain in front out there, you know, two, actually two, one on either side and two in the front of the prison cell, one quatrain. And they're always changing because they've got to be fresh for that man. I want to have a walk with God that is like that. That it takes 16 of the enemy for one of me. See, Herod, he's on the phone. He thinks he's got it all, you know. Figured out, taken care of, but he has to put 16 men to one little man, one little preacher. Don't insult me by putting one little devil on me. In fact, if the enemy can just put one devil on me, I insult my God. 
If all it takes is one little buck private to take me out and take me down. I said this before, I'll say it again. When I stand before the Lord someday, I pray that God said on such and such a day when you were really going through the fire, there was a thousand of them coming against you. And by my power, you slew them. Lord, have mercy on us. We stand up there one day. The Lord shows us our lives, shows us the spirit world, what was going on at that time. When Herod was rising up, and all it took was one little private to walk into my house and take me down and discourage me. One little buck private. One little insignificant spirit. That's all it took. Man, Lord, I want to be like Peter here. God, They got to set 16 and four different watches. They got to be fresh. See, they're passionate to keep him. But they are outnumbered. <laughs> they're, they're outnumbered. Hallelujah. Don't you want to be like that? How many of y'all ever been through anything? But Herod rose up and said, no, 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 no. I'm in charge here. You been through something before? Boy, I pray that when you stand before God on judgment day, he said, sir, they sent 16,000 against you. And they couldn't bring you down. In that battle, I'm asking you a question today. Do you understand the battle that's coming against you? Has Herod standing up there? And he set 16 over you? Or maybe he just set one over you? I'm going to let you go because some of y'all are already, you know, la la land. But you, you know, see, you go, you're going to need this someday. You're going to need this someday. See, some of you can't understand how come I'm so radical and so violent. And, you know, and so ferocious. Because I've been through more than one. I've been through. Is it just going to take one battle to take you out? Is it just going to take one, one person in your family who disagrees with you to take you completely out? One little battle is all it's going to take for you to go down? Are you crazy? You might, listen, if you think that there's a battle out there just waiting for you to take you out, you might as well quit right now. If you think there's a battle strong enough that you're going to face to take, if you've already made up your mind, you're going to quit. Watch what I'm saying. If you've already said in my mind, if it comes to this, I quit. Guess what? You might as well walk out the door. I tell you, you might as well walk out the door. If you've already made up your mind that if it gets to this point, I quit. You might as well quit because it's going to come. It's going to hit you at that level. Herod is a murderous despot. 
Well, I can only handle it to a point. I know. I go through that. I'm going to tell you something right now. You've got to make up your mind. You can't sit there and say, well, if this happens and this happens, then that's about it. That's where I draw the line. I'm out of here. You might as well quit. Because if one can get you, what a disgrace. Y'all doing all right out there? Wouldn't it be sad someday to not make it in the kingdom of God? And on judgment day, I walk up there and the Lord show you everything you went through and said, you know what? All it took was one little private come and take you down. One battle was all you had to deal with and it took you out. One battle. Just one battle. Why did you believe my word that says one can send a thousand to flight and two can send ten thousand to flight? Four watches, four different men at each watch. What I'm trying to tell you is there's going to be more than one battle. But as you get through each one of those, you will become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger so that the next time the enemy, Herod, he don't, you know what he had to do to those four, four quadrants? He said, why'd you let that little preacher get away? I got to kill you, put somebody else stronger over that prison house. Hear the devil talking. Man, don't you know you just almost had him? He said, get out of here. Get out of my face. I got to send a general to take care of that. You stood before me, you know, last week and said, I can take him down. Little old, little old buck private. I can take him down. He can take him down. He runs over there. Devil says, what? Get out of here. Come over here, Captain so-and-so. I got to put you in charge of that. Hello, somebody. See, what you need to understand is that this war is real. If it wasn't real, you wouldn't be reading about men who've lost their heads. You wouldn't be reading about a Peter that was in prison. And you wouldn't be reading about a James that ultimately was thrown out the pinnacle of the temple if it wasn't a real conflict in the spirits. But I'm here to encourage you that if you will learn to pray, If you'll read your Bible every day and learn to pray and go to church, I tell you right now, you will make it. That's all I got to do, preacher? Well, I'm not saying that's all you got to do. But if you'll do that, you'll be well on your way to overcoming the enemy. But you got to understand the blood. Now watch, you with me here? I got long-winded, didn't I? I was afraid I wasn't going to have nothing to say this morning. But I know there's some war going on here, and I know the enemy wants to take you and discourage you and bring your morale down. But I'm here to tell you right now, all that is is a spirit of heritage.
when I was discouraged a year ago and got the victory over that, it better take more now to discourage me than it did then. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. When Herod brought it forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. Man, look at that. They're afraid of this guy. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. He's got a couple of prison guards out front, a couple of people chained with two chains to him there, and he's sleeping in the middle of them. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, And behold, an angel of the Lord came upon him, and light shined in the prison, and smote Peter on the side. That's what's happening to some of you right now. There's a mighty warring angel that has come who's standing beside you. No, let me just tell you this right now. That angel was already there. Peter just couldn't see him. The angel was already there. Now he manifests himself. Now he's seen light appears. And he smites him in the side. Gets him right in the heart, man. Conviction gets a hold of him. Uh, when this, as this message is going forth right now, I guarantee you, the Word of God's going, Ugh, conviction's coming on you. I can't believe that I'd give in to that little old battle there. See, the Lord encourages me sometime. I'll, I'll, I'll get with the Word in just a minute. He encourages me sometime. I hear about men who pastor 20,000 people. Who also have to administer over many, many ministries at the same time. Can you imagine the grace and the power of God that has to operate in that man to pastor 20,000 people and then be over ministries at the same time? And here I am suffering with a little flock. And I want to be great in the kingdom. And I'm suffering with a little flock. Man, that encourages me. That encourages me. Because you know what? Hey. If they can do it, if they can handle that type of pressure, if they can handle that type of battle, that type of struggle, that type of attack, man, don't get discouraged, preacher. Lift up your head. Stand in that pulpit. Stay faithful. Keep preaching. Keep serving God. Watch. Smote him in the side, man, can, you know, a lot of ways we can preach this. Conviction. Here we go. Though Peter, he said, and raised him up. Get up. It's nice that you're resting in God, but uh, now it's time for you to do something. Here comes the participation of the saint. That it's not always just God going to go in there and do it. When God shows up, then you got to obey what God's telling you to do. When God shows up, you have to participate in the moving. You're going to have to do something about where you are, says the angel. He says, get up out of this. It's time for you to go. Rise up and let's go. Peter could have just sat there all night and look at the end and say, hey, man, you're pretty. You're powerful. you light. You're glorious, too. Woo! And the next morning, Herod would have got him 
walked him out and cut his head off too. Because he didn't get up when God showed up. You got to get up when God showed up. God comes and brings you a word. You better get up and do something with that word. You don't sit around just waiting for God to make it happen. You got to get up out of your seat. You got to rise up and you got to go. You got to walk through those enemy barriers that are there. You got to walk through. You got to move in dimensions in God till he gets you in that city. But there's going to be conflict and opposition and the spirit of Herod trying to stop you from moving into that city. But I got to get up because I know God showed up. If God showed up, then I can get up. And if I can get up, then I can go out. I'm for sure not going to sit here and sulk and stay in my prison house the rest of my life. If God showed up, I can't get out of here on my own. But if God showed up, I'm going to get up. If I can feel God's presence here right now, I'm going to get up and get out of the, I'm going to get out of the clutch of Herod. I'm going to get out of the prison of Herod. All I got to do is just have a, just, a, just a manifestation of God's presence. That's all I need. And then I'll move. Just give me one word, God. One word. I know what I'm talking about because I've been going through this. Okay? And if I've been going through this, so have you. Because God lets me go through what you're going through so I can preach to you, so I can minister to you. Watch this. Watch. All you need is a word. When you get the word, do something with it. Go with it. I got encouraged. God need, you know, God has a way of encouraging you. He has a way of encouraging you. Don't give up. He has a way of encouraging you. Enemy will attack you concerning the word of the Lord, concerning the blood. You know what I'm talking about. He's a Herod. And so I was, you know, I was feeling that spirit of Herod getting a hold of me. And it still tries to get a hold of me. God knew I needed encouraging. So you know what he did? He ordained it so that a sister in this church. Now watch this. I'm, try, I'm telling you this for your help. For your good. This is the kind of God you serve. There's a sister in this church that met a lady out there in the world that she had never met before. This lady began to tell the sister in the church how that God used the ministry in this church to prophesy over her husband that she would be in the kingdom. That man was in this church for a while and, I, and I, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost spoke to him and said, I believe your wife's going to come in. She's going to be greater than you are. At that time, it was impossible for man to bring that about. I'm telling you because I know his situation. It was impossible. But the Lord spoke and said. Now watch this. This girl starts testifying to one of the sisters in the church. Of how that she was prophesied about. Before she came into the church. That she would come into the church. And this sister don't even know this woman. God brought it together. And she said this. She said, you know, I'm in another church right now. But I know that that church, that pastor in that church prophesied over my husband. And prophesied about me. That I would be in the kingdom. And that I would be greater than my husband is. And I'm in the church now. 
You know why God let the sister in this church come across that person she didn't even know? And then that person tell her about what was spoken over her before she ever came into the kingdom from this church. is so that there could be a preacher that stands behind this pulpit that could be encouraged. So there could be a church out there that could be encouraged. I'm here to tell you right now, don't give up. God will fulfill his word. And it looks to you like it is it totally impossible for you to make it happen or anybody else to make it happen. But if it was God, it will come to pass. And not always your way or in your timing. But God has a way of somehow supernaturally encouraging you. People are telling you you're crazy. Now you come into the kingdom of God. Now you're crazy. And you know what? God will send some crazy person to you just like you out there to encourage you. That's just the way God is. Sister Sonia was talking to somebody the other day. What's weird about that is that about two, about, it was a few months ago, I think it was, that me and my wife, they had a little bitty old play thing. For the kids, they were selling in a thrifty nickel. And me and my wife went and took a look at it. And we met this young woman. Sister Sonia just happened to come across her. And Sister Sonia started talking to her about the holidays. We don't do that. We don't do that, you know. And, and this woman said, really? She's not even in the church here. She said, we don't believe in that either. Can you tell me more about that? Tell me that's not God. So you're going to go around and people tell you, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. And you come across somebody that's not even in the church. And they believe the same thing just to encourage you. Now Sonia's supposed to set up a Bible study with them. Hello, somebody. Just keep on keeping on. When God shows up, get up. Get out of Herod's clutches. Walk out of there. He's a, he's a false, he's a usurping potentate anyway. Just recognize though that he's very passionate about what he's trying to do to you. When you study the message of angels. Hallelujah. I think I'll leave that in for tonight. I will just tell you this, that when an angel shows up, I'll just give it to you. When an angel shows up, they're always talking the same talk. They're always saying, get up, rise up, go. That's the language of angels. The language of angels is not immobilization. The language of angels is mobilization. They are like the chariots of God. Warrior chariots of God. They are moving in the spirit. So when they show up, they're always going to tell you, get up out of this. And go. Get up and go. That's, 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 that's one way I know when I'm talking like an angel. Is when I'm, when I'm always under that anointing that says, get up and go. Get up out of your stuff and go. Move! Don't sit here and die in the clutch of hell. Get up and move. Don't just sit there on a pew. Move in the Spirit of God. Get up and go. That's the message of God to the church. Get up and go. Get up and go. 
Arise up quickly. Get out of here. Now, at that point, Peter still got chains on his hands. I might have to close, but I'm, I'm finished anyway. He got hands, chains on his hands. What do you mean get up? Here he goes sulking again. No, he didn't do that, thank God. Every time I go to church, that preacher wants me to get up, wants me to run, praise God, worship, shout. What's wrong with him? Well, he's trying to get you out of the clutch of Herod, for one. But don't he know what I'm going through? <laughs> he don't go through anything. If he only knew what he's asking me to do, that's just impossible. I just, I can't even hardly talk because I'm so... <laughs> Oh, he sees these chains. Come on, angel. Don't you see these chains? Don't you? Haven't you noticed every time I come to church, I have this look on my face of discouragement? Don't he see that? <laughs> the angel looks at Peter while he's in chains. And says, rise up. Rise up. And the Bible said, arise up. And he says, quickly. Because the longer you sit there and think about it, the more discouraged you get. That's why when God shows up and he says, rise up quickly, you better rise up quickly. I don't care if you still feel the cold steel around your hands or not, rise up quickly. Because the longer the enemy or Herod can keep you down in despair. The more diseased you become. Just get up. Rise up quickly. Say quickly. Why are they always rushing me all the time? Always want me to. Always, always, always. We'll keep on talking, Herod. Herod's saying, stay down. Stay chained. Stay in prison. God's saying, rise up quickly. I showed up. Now you can get up. His chains, the Bible said, and his chains fell off from his hands after he was told to rise up quickly. The angel said to him, gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get yourself together. Cast down vain imaginations. And every half thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. Come on, get it together. You can do it. Yes, you can. Don't tell me you can. You can. Put your garment on. Put your, put your sandals on. It's time to go.
What'd you say, sister? Put your blue booty on and get out of here. Hallelujah. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Harry's going to try to keep you down. The chains fell off. Now he's almost free, but not yet. See, just because you got a touch, just because you heard the word, God showed up. You heard the word. Now you, you stood up. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's a start. And the chains have fallen off. Good, that's a start. But you're still standing there in the prison house. You still got to put some shoes on your feet and you got to put some garments on your body. You're fixing to go outside. See, there's levels, there's dimensions of movement. There's dimensions in this spirit. Rise up's one. Quickly. Put your sandals on. Put your garment on. Those are levels of movement in the spirit of, to your freedom. Until you're totally free. You have to keep moving and doing. Man, don't beat yourself up yet. Just because you're not totally free from everything. From, you know, oh, come on, somebody. There's nobody here in this house, including this preacher, that's free from everything. There's levels of moving in God's spirit. There's levels of getting out of Herod's clutch. It's not going to happen in just the first step. got to keep on everything God tells you. Well, he said, put my sandals on. Then he said, put my garment on. Then he, one thing after another. You just got to pre be prepared for movement. You understand what I'm showing you here? There's dimensions. He's still got to walk through. Bible goes on and says this. I promise you I'm almost through. Don't quit me yet, okay? Bible says this. He went out and followed him. That's where faith comes in. Oh, really? No, he don't even know what he's doing. <laughs> Much less try exercise faith. What do you mean? Be good if you could. <laughs> this thing is happening. He's just having to move as it goes. He's having to go with the flow, so to speak. Watch. Whew, God's good, isn't he? I mean, he's been smitten by the angel. No, God wouldn't smite me. <laughs> he wouldn't tell me to rise up quickly. He wouldn't tell me to gird up. He wouldn't tell me to bind up my sandals. Cast your garment about. They follow me. He went out and followed him. And wits not that it was true, which was done by the angel. He thinks he's in a vision. He thinks it's a dream. It's real. 
Peter, it's real. How many of y'all believe that God can deliver you from the clutch of Herod? But you've got to follow this process. Instead of sitting there saying, I'm bound, I'm singing, singing a song. I'm bound, I'm bound. Blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm bound. <laughs> I'm a prisoner, Herod's got me, the devil's after me. Of course he does. So why are you going to sit there and, and, and testify about it? Well, the devil's I've been beating me up all week long, and, I still, and I've been letting him too, and I'm going to continue to let him. So am I. I'm pitiful also. But there's a word here. I, see, God wants to take us out of this time that we're in right now. But it's just that Herod's rising up there. But there's a way out. Progressively. But you got to keep going. Now, here we go. He went out following him. It's not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came under the iron gate. That's three. First ward, second ward, iron gate. See, he's passing through dimensions. He's moved beyond just that number four, that creation situation. He's now moving. He's, he's you with me. He's moving out of his prison house. But he's got to go through the first dimension. Got to go through the second dimension. And then he's got to go through the third dimension to get into the city. Which is Jerusalem. Which is the finished work. Which is where the throne is. So you got a lot of things that are coming against you to try to bind you up. Herod for one. And you got to. Oh yeah. Now God shows up. Now you got to move out of those things of Herod's clutch. When you get out of Herod's clutch, then you start moving in the things of God. Yeah, the cross, Passover, then the power of Pentecost. And now, kingdom authority in the Jerusalem of God. But see, there's levels of maturity. There's moving up. You're not getting this. Not everybody's going to get to that level. Go through this word. Okay. Yeah, let's go. Are you satisfied, Peter? No. Let's go through another. Okay. Second. Yeah. You satisfied? No. There's still a big old iron gate in front of me. What's beyond that iron gate? The city. Come on. What's beyond those four world powers? God's kingdom. What's beyond Herod? Jesus. Watch. Now watch this. Hear me. Hear me. When he gets out of that gate. Here we go. Are y'all okay out there? Yeah. It, yeah, I got to stop real quick because you quit me a while back. 
when Peter was coming to himself. Okay, now I got to get there. Which, the Bible said this big old iron gate opens of its own accord. Own accord. As he's moving, they just open. If you keep setting, there's nothing ever going to open up for you. That's why you got to. You got to rise up quickly. Put on your coat. Put on your sandals. Get ready to get out of here. Got to go through the first ward. Got to go through the second ward. Got to go through the iron gate. You just have to keep moving. If you'll keep moving, you'll be surprised at what opens up. But if you give up, you'll never see what will open up. But see, we are laborers together with God. He shows up, and then we got a part. If I'm discouraged right now, if I'm oppressed right now, God's going to show up. But will I do anything with it? Or will I turn right back around and say, I deserve to be in this prison? You know, James, he died. I don't deserve to be set free. I think I'll just go right back there. Who am I? To be delivered. Set free from Herod's clutch. He kept moving. Doors just started opening for him left and right. Dimensions in the spirit. But they are not without opposition from a very passionate potentate. To try to seclude you or secure you in a place where you cannot move. So that when you come to church, Lord have mercy. Have you moved this week from where you were last week? Have you moved this week? Have you moved this year from where you were last year? And the year before, and the year before, or is it the same old vicious cycle? Same old, same old. It's not because God didn't show up, God showed up. You just stopped moving, you got comfortable with Herod's clutch because you couldn't believe. You couldn't even dream. You couldn't see anything beyond where you were right now. You have to have the ability to see beyond where you are now. You got to come to yourself. You got to move it. At some point, Peter came to him and said, Yeah, this is real. Whoa. Let's go, man. If you don't. You're going to stay where you are the same way you are forever. Hello? How many of y'all want to see a change? But I'm discouraged. What did you expect? There's a very passionate potentate trying to shut your movement down. Now, here's, here's the problem. If you don't get up and move, your purpose for being here, somebody else will have to take that place. 
Because don't think that God's going to stop his kingdom just for you. When he showed up and said, now I showed up, it's time for you to get up. And you, you sit there. He's not going to shut the whole kingdom down just for you to sit there and sulk. He's going to say, okay, if you can't get over it and get out of this. He said, I got somebody else to take your place. Just sit down. Woo, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. How many people of God do I have out there? I mean, you've been fighting some battles and Herod's risen up. But yeah, but you, I'm trying to show you something. Hey, you don't have to stay there. You do not have to stay there. And it's progressively. Change comes progressively. As God shows up, you've got to keep moving through dimensions. If you don't know what to do right now, just do what you know to do right now until God tells you the next step. When God tells you the next step, then you can take it. God is leading this man step by step by step. He don't start out and say, hey, you're fixing to go through the iron gate to the city. No, he says, I got to start here. Then we got to start. Take it one step, one thing at a time. I'm going to show you what to do. I'm going to give you the plan. But as God shows you, then you got to act on it. See, some of us, we're wanting a word, yeah. We're wanting a word for something that hasn't even happened yet. We've imagined some stuff that's going to happen to us. And we're waiting for God to give us a word about how to handle something that hasn't even happened yet. When the time comes for you to deal with whatever you've got to deal with, that's when the word's going to come to you at that time. And he's going to take you step by step by step through it. When he does, when he shows up, then you've got to move in what he tells you to do. God's good. He goes into the city. Peter came to himself, verse 11, and said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. Out of the hand of Herod. And from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Peter had already made it through the gates into the city. He's already in a dimension called the most holy place. The problem is the church is not there. Because where's the church? It's in the second dimension. Peter's standing out there free from the clutches of Herod. Having made it through the all the way through the third gate into the third dimension, he's standing. He's a free man, but the church isn't there yet. They're still discouraged, and in a sense, Herod was physically captured by Herod. Uh, uh, Peter was physically captured by Herod, but in a sense, the church was spiritually captured. They have to get out where. Come on. They have to get where Peter is. So that's why Peter has to walk into where they are. 
And then what does he tell him? He says, now i got to go talk to James because James is the head of the Jerusalem church. You're not getting this, are you? Appreciate you being down here praying for me and everything, you know. But they are so discouraged and so depressed they can't even believe that he's out there. And that's going to bring me to tonight's message. The hardest gate for God to get through is the church gate. He wants to take you. He can take you through gates. But it's hard for him to get in. And there's a reason for that. And I'm going to teach you tonight. If if the Lord lets me, he might change it. I don't ever know. But I'm going to teach you tonight four things. That you have to do to qualify to get through the same gate that Peter got through. Four things. Because there are enemies to unity. There are enemies to unity. See, I wish you remember there was a man by the name of Peter who had the keys of the kingdom. Y'all going to come back tonight? I'm excited. Let's stand. Father, I just thank you right now for your awesome name. Jesus. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the King of my life. The Lord of my life. The King of this church. The Lord of this church. We trust you. Ah, I can't quit. I can't quit. I can't quit. Sit down. I can't quit. A very, very important thing the Lord reminded me I've got to share with you. Herod goes around looking for him again. Herod's always going to try to find you again. I'm free of him now. Woo, good. Well, he's, he's right around the corner. Looking for you again. But ultimately, God will take him out. Watch this. This is powerful. I'll get back to this tonight, but I have to show you this. Verse 21. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel. Set upon his throne as a potentate and made an oration unto them. He's talking, he always does. And the people gave a shout, saying, This is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eating the worms and gave up the ghost. So that this potentate, Herod, one day he walks out. And Josephus, this Jewish historian of the first century, says this. He walks out. And the Bible says, it gives us the idea and understanding of it. He walks out, but he's wearing silver. Woven silver 
a woven silver garment. He walks into the amphitheater. And when he does, the sun hits that apparel. It's like just radiant glory. And when he's there, he begins to speak. And, and when they say that, he not willing to give the true king glory. I told you there's a competition between potentates here. And when he refuses to give the true king glory, there's a lot of Herods in the house who refuse to give the true king glory. They're sitting on their own throne in all their glory. And because of that, Herod, this usurper, this false potentate, looking at me like that. If you're not Herod, don't act like Herod. <laughs> he, he is smitten with a disease. And history says, for five days, the worms eat him alive. He dies a very painful death in the New Testament. I said in the New Testament. God is still a God of judgment in the New Testament. He took out that usurper. He took out that passionate potentate called Herod. He let the worms eat him. And in case you don't know it, the worm speaks of Adam. He gave in to the Adamic nature. And because of that, he refused to be a revelation of the true king and worship the true king as we saw in Revelation that the other creation did. And because of that, he is immediately slain. And he dies a very painful death. Josephus says he looked up. This is strange. Herod looked up and he saw a owl. At the moment that they said, you're a God and not a man. And that was a sign to him. He literally told the people. He said, because you said that to me, you signed my death sentence. He knew it. But that is what he wanted, church. He knew it was wrong, but that's what he wanted. And as soon as they said it, he said, you signed my death sentence. In five days, he was dead. I don't know about you, but I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to serve the true king. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to give him glory. Because I don't want to die like Herod died. Walking around with this statement, I'm in charge. I'm the king. I'm the Lord. I'm the potentate. That will only bring the same results that brought Herod down to your grave. I want it to be said of me, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my king. I recognize when that other one's popping his head up. But I'm going to do what God tells me. To rise up quickly and get out of his clutches. Because if, if I don't get out of his clutches, I will end up like he ended up. Hello. Y'all love Jesus? Woo, give God praise. Y'all come back tonight. We're going to have an awesome, awesome service. God's going to encourage you some more. Because right now, Herod's trying to bring the morale down of the church. 
But God's going to encourage you some more because I'm going to give you four things that you have to do. Four things that you have to do to qualify to get in beyond that third door, the iron gate. Love y'all. God bless you. And I'll see you tonight. In Jesus' name.